I want to tell you what, your marriage is so critical. And God puts you with somebody, man, woman. That's the way it works. Uh, you're called to be a team that affects the world and leaves a legacy in the world. And uh, this isn't in my notes, but go to Joel chapter 1. Uh, and Trudy just showed me this when, when Pastor was, was talking there. Uh, Joel chapter 1. Is that where it was, baby, or was it two? It's one, the first verse? Okay. It says this. I'm going to read this out of the New Living, Joel 1. Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen, all who live in the land, and all your history. Has anything like this happened before? Now get this. Tell your children about it in the years to come. And let your children's children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. And this is talking about the, the message that set us free, set you free. It doesn't stop with you. This thing is bigger than you. You understand? This is about us leaving a legacy. And it's about, and it all begins with your family and your family getting plugged into church and learning. You know, Trudy and I got saved and met Jesus, but until, until we got into church and began to learn, we still lived crazy lives because we didn't know. It's like God did a miracle for us. Trudy was supernaturally healed of crossed eyes, had grown up with that. And one night they prayed for her, and in an hour her eyes straightened out and her vision, which was awful, she had to wear big old thick glasses growing up. I know this. I was there. That's the girl I dated. Her vision went 20-20 in, in, in an hour. So we knew God did miracles. And, man, we, that was a big deal because our church didn't teach that. But now there's nobody around to teach us anything more about it. And even though we were saved and filled with the Spirit until we got into the Word and got plugged into church, and I'm talking to somebody. you got to make this a, 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 a priority of your life. Do you know half the people that say that they're Christians, 50%, roughly, only go to church twice a month? Twice a month, 50% of Christians. Write this down if you're taking notes. And if you're a note taker, that's good. If you're not, become a note taker this morning, okay? Write this down. Go to church every time they have a service. That's deep. But that'll help you. Do you know I've been in churches before where I had a word for somebody prophetically. And I would, and I would give this word out. And this has happened more than once. And after the service, the pastor would come up and say, oh, my goodness, there's a guy that he and his wife are doing this. And that word was so right on for them. But they weren't here today. And I thought, oh, my goodness, just not coming to church, you can miss a word that could set you on a whole new course of life. So come to church, right? But, but back to this. We're supposed to leave a legacy. It's not just about you. It's about you and then you, you connecting with the priorities of life. This morning we're going to talk about how to build your house. And we're going to hit a couple of principles about building your family, about the, your marriage, and then about the, the legacy of your kids. And, and it takes work to do that. And it's important that we see how important those things are because then we come together, together as the church and we affect the community. Because we've come here for many, many years. And many, many times there's been a prophetic word about how this church is a light to this valley. 
and have great significance. And it's, it, you've done great, but it's not over yet. <laughs> but it all is based on our family. Doesn't mean you'll have a perfect family or perfect marriage. You will not. It's a challenge to be married. I've been married for 47 years, and I look in the mirror and I say, how could this lady have put up with this for so long? Because sometimes I'm a, I'm a fathead. I do dumb stuff. And Trudy has been called to tell me. But anyway, that's... But these things, you have to work on these things. And so we're going we're gonna to deal with a couple of things this morning. I, I believe it will help you. But then we can't deal with everything. So, so let me talk about our product. Because we do this stuff because we, uh, we can't preach everything at one time, right? So quickly, we've got a, a, a few series I want to highlight. This is called Grandparent Plus. And this is all about how to be great at green, being grand. And see, once again, legacy. Uh, we're supposed to pass the faith. We were, like, changed our life to our, our kids and our grandkids. And, you know, I think grandparents today, I think we're different even than they were in previous generations. Because I think grandparents are cooler today. I'm a grandparent, right, Rich? You know, when I was growing up, all the, all the older people, like my grandparents, great aunts and uncles, it's just like they were trying to look old. So I remember my aunt, they had little, little white hairdos up in a bun, granny glasses, and big dresses like a sack. And then, you know, it was just a different time. I had an Aunt Bess. I'm never forget Aunt Bess. She's this little lady, had, had all that going for her. But she would sit around when we would talk, and she had a green bean can, and she dipped snuff. <laughs> and you see Aunt Bess, she'd be talk, talk a little bit, and her teeth are kind of brown. And then she'd spit into that can. And you know, I'm six, seven years old. I think, I don't want to see in the, what's in that can. And, but I think we're cooler now as grandparents. Uh, do you know the average age of being a first-time grandparent is 47? That's pretty young. Today's grandparents are healthier. They're more street smart. They're more compu uh, computer smart. They have iPhones, iPads. I'm, I'm preaching from an iPad this morning. Yeah. Uh, they drink lattes. I had one this morning. Uh, this is one of my favorites. They're more sexually active than previous generations. <laughs> Settle down, Rich. Uh Go, go to Psalm 71.7. Here's what we're supposed to do. I better get in the Bible. Uh, listen to this. This is awesome. Uh, Psalm 71.17 says, Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. We're called to do that, right? And on this, we talk about how to be a good grandparent, how to talk to your grandkids, how to support your, the parents of your grandkids. Uh, is, uh, let me give this away to somebody that wants to be a better grandparent. I, I saw you get your hand up first, all right? There you go. You're welcome. And then uh, I've got a series here for marriage called Marriage Down the Road of Life. I love this series. We use a long road trip in a car, like a family road trip, as a metaphor for building your marriage. And you know how it is when you get married, everything's exciting and brand new. It's like getting in a brand new car, taking off on a trip. 
It's like a long trip. It's supposed to last for years and years and years. But you, if you don't watch it, you know what? Don't you love a clean uh, new car and the smell? I rented a car the other day that had one mile on it. And all weekend, I just enjoyed it. Honey, doesn't it smell good? Oh, so pristine, clean. I like a clean car, but here's, that's the way your marriage is in the beginning. But if you don't watch it, you're, you're driving down the road and you haven't done maintenance. You got to do maintenance. Good marriages don't just happen. They have to be invested in. That's like your car. It just doesn't keep running. You know, sometimes you wake up and all of the light, lights are flashing on the dashboard like a Christmas tree. And you look in the back, McDonald's french fry, french fry wrappers are stacked up. And it's, it starts smelling funky. I don't like smelly cars. So what does that mean? That means you gotta, you got to do some things. So we talk about that. And I like this one. This is how to train children that trump the world. Get, get Trump? <laughs> Donald Trump is our president. We need to pray for him. That's as political as I will get. And, uh, but this is all about, Trump is also like a playing card term. Like if you're a gambler, don't do that anymore. You got saved. But if you were, you remember when you're playing cards that somebody can have a pretty good hand against you, right? Like you're playing poker, then let's say they got three kings. That's a pretty good hand. They got a pretty good chance of winning. It's kind of like the devil. He had a really good hand to play on you because you sinned and you opened up the door for him to come in. But you can trump that hand with three aces. Jesus was five aces. <laughs> There's only four, but he's five. And he came to trump what the devil wants to do in your life, but also in the life of our kids, which means if we'll do some things, if we'll invest in them and train them and talk to them about God, well, Brother Ken, I'll I take them to church. Yeah, but that doesn't stop there. You got to talk to your own kids about Jesus. And I'll talk about that a little bit this morning, but... Here's a good one. Devil Proof Your Family. I love this book because I wrote it, but it's good. I promise you. It's about, our, it's about marriage, and uh, we hear great reports on this all the time. Half of it's on marriage. Half of it's on training your kids, and I encourage you to get the book if you don't have it. And if you do have it, get it and give it to somebody else because it'll help them. You know, there are people that will open up to hear about God because you say, they say, my kids are driving me nuts. Here, read this book. It'll help you with your kids. Yeah, good seed. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I just am so excited to be here this morning. This is a moment in time for all of us. And I, I thank you that, that the Holy Spirit is here to teach us, to guide us, to lead us. And we're going to leave here different than we came. And we're going to leave here empowered in a different way and freedom in a different way because things are going to fall off in this service, I believe. And we're going to learn some things that will set us on a new course. And I, I trust you for that. I boldly declare that over every person in here. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say amen. Hey, turn to Psalm uh, 127. This morning I want to talk to you about uh, how important our, our family is to everything. And you know, when you think about uh, God and, and how he works with mankind, this is what a lot of people miss. It's like when you see a, a, a hurricane that's hit, a, you know, a devastating hurricane, or you, you see like that flood they had in Houston. That was a, a hurricane last year. People will say, you'll hear this. Somebody will say, I just don't know why God allowed this to happen. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Some, something horrible. Well, why did God let this happen? Well, here's, here's the thing. We've got to understand about God, and the world doesn't. It's not just God just randomly goes and does things. And No, there's, 
there are forces in the earth that are evil because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And, and God wants to help people. But He can't do everything. It's not a perfect world because Adam and Eve's sin kind of evicted Him out of people's lives. And God just didn't done randomly pick people out to put things on. He didn't put things on people. That's the enemy. When a door is opened, it gives him free reign to come and try to do something in your life. But we can't be redeemed from all this bad stuff, right? But here's the key. You have to partner with God. See, God has his part to play. I talked to the men about this yesterday. He told Joshua, God did, when Joshua was leading the children of Israel, into the promised land. He said, Joshua, you got to be strong and you got to be courageous. And he said that three times in that chapter. Three, it's very important. That's the outstanding thing of Joshua 1. They're going into the promised land. You have a promised land to take. But if you're going to do it, you got to be strong and courageous. Well, here's what that means. The strong comes from God. He gives you strength by his power. When you get saved, the strength of God saves you. And you get born again and his spirit is there, right? And it's there. But then it takes courage to, to, to make it work in your life. And that's your part. Courage means you're willing to change and make changes. And whenever you hear truth, you act on that. And, and when we do that, then change will come in your life. But it's a partnership with God. So in partnering with God, let me tell you how God is. The most important thing in your life and in my life is not the stuff that God wants to bless us with. And God wants to give you stuff. You got to have stuff. You gotta have a place to live, right? You gotta have a car. You gotta have stuff. And, and I don't believe God wants us to have bad stuff. I believe He wants us to be good. You know, He doesn't. He doesn't flinch if you say, "Lord, I'd like a Mercedes." Doesn't make Him nervous. He He wants to bless you. But yet, the most important thing in your life is not your stuff, because your stuff is going to wear out. No matter how nice it is now, it's going to get rusty. It's going to decay. It's not going to be here. It's going to get old. It's going to wear out. But here's what does matter in life that you have to build. We're talking about how to build your house is your relationships. <clears throat> relationships are the only thing you can take to heaven with you. And I'll tell you what's precious is when you've built relationships over time, over Trudy and I've been married 47 years and I got to tell you, it ain't been perfect, and I'm not perfect. She's not either, but we have a depth now to us because we've worked on this deal. People like this that are friends of ours, we, you, you, you develop and you go through things, go through things together, and you help each other, and it's critical. That's the biggest thing in your life is relationships. Turn to your neighbor and say, we need relationships. In fact, that's the only thing you can take to heaven with you. And, and when it comes to affecting people's lives, we're called to take this gospel that changed our life to the world. And if you haven't received the gospel, gospel means good news. I mean, the good news is Jesus died for your sins and loves you this morning. If you haven't received it, you need to. In fact, we'll give you a chance to do that at the end of the service. But we don't go preach the gospel at the expense of the relationships that are close to us in life. I'll show you what I mean by that. I've got a couple of quotes here. This is what Billy Graham, who just went to heaven this year, right? And one of the great evangelists of all time, an icon in Christianity. I didn't even hear TV whenever he passed away. I didn't, you know, there's all sorts of networks out there, different slants, you know what I'm saying? I didn't even hear people I don't agree with saying anything bad about Billy Graham. Everybody said something good about Billy Graham. 
He was a good man, but here's what he said at the end of his life. Although I have much to be grateful for as I look back over my life, I also have many regrets. I have failed many times, and I would do many things differently. For one thing, I would speak less and study more, and I would spend more time with my family. That's Billy Graham at the end of his life. You know, as you get older, you begin to focus on what's really important. Because when you're young, you don't get it. You think you're going to live forever. I mean, I'll just tell you, young people, uh, listen to an old dude, okay? It's the way it is. I mean, when my kids were little, it, you know, it's such work to raise kids. And you go through the, their babies and they're crying and you go, oh, dear God, we love this person. But why, why don't they shut up? And, you know, you, you know what I mean? It's work. And, 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 and then you're raising these kids and you're young. And, and then you kind of get the idea they're going to stay young forever. And then all of a sudden, in about 15 minutes, they're grown up. And they're leaving home. And what the heck happened? And it's, it's short. And it's short, Right? But but that's the most important thing, our relationships. Billy Sunday, I don't know if you've heard of him. He was born in 1862, died in 1935. He, uh, he was a baseball player, that professional baseball player, that got saved and just quit playing ball and became an evangelist. And he was a powerful evangelist in his day. It is said that he preached to over 100 million people. Now think about that. That's, this is before mass media, turn of the 20th century. Uh, before radio, uh, he had these crusades, and he traveled, and he preached. Um, it is said that he shook the hands personally of over a million people who got saved at his crusades. And Billy Sunday, I've studied some on his life. He must have been this, you know, charismatic, kind of a wild man when he preached. He was different than any preacher they'd ever seen. And he had all these one-liners you ought to go on the, the internet and just Google Billy Sunday one-liners. There's some awesome things. For instance, he said this. I love this. Your reputation is what people say about you. Your character is what God and your wife know about you. That ought to be in the Bible. Not good? But at the end of his life, Billy Graham was sad. And he was sad because on his deathbed, he said, I didn't spend enough time with my kids. And my kids suffered because I didn't. If I had it to do all over again, I would give up the world and win my sons. That's, that's a powerful quote. And I'm, I don't think he's saying, I, I wish I wouldn't have obeyed God. I, wouldn't, I, I wish I wouldn't have got all those people saved. I think he's just saying, I should have not been so into that and, and focused on my family. Because this is the, see, there's priorities of relationships in your life. And your family takes precedent over any other relationship, right? Uh, Jesus doesn't want us to be sad at the end of our life. And see, when it comes to preaching, or, you know, I'm, I'm a preacher. And uh, go to 1 Corinthians 7, 32. I know you're in Psalm 127, but put your finger there. Or if you've got an electronic, you can, you can flip over there quickly. Um, but Psalm, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 7, 32 Paul's talking. Paul was, was not married. Uh, and Paul had a gift not to be married. I talked to the guys about this yesterday. Uh, or maybe, I don't know, Friday night. But there is a gift to stay single and, and be very happy doing that. In other words, you don't have sexual uh, desires like some people. Paul had that gift. He said, Brother Ken, how do I know I have it? Well, you're, if you're a guy and you like ladies, you probably don't have the gift. Okay. But there is a gift. But here's what he said about your marriage. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life, the new living. 
An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. And that's, you know, does anything. If, if, if God says pick up and go to Africa, he can do it the next day, right? Because he doesn't have responsibilities. But, but verse 33, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. It's important. So family was designed as a seminal relationship of your life. That means the most important relationships. Family is also designed to help you keep it real in life. Little kids will do that to you. I worked with little kids on a TV program. That's the roots of my ministry called the Gospel Bill Show. Many of you know about that program. And we, it was on the air on Christian TV and even on secular t- stations back in the 80s and 90s. And uh, we did over 200 episodes. It was very successful. So even when I travel today to churches, a lot of people even watch the show now because it's still on reruns. And anyway, I was in a church not too long ago, and I preached, and I'm walking around the front after I got done. And this little boy is just kind of looking at me like, he's about seven or so. And he's just staring at me. So I just walked over to him and said, how you doing? What's your name? And he told me, I said, uh, and, you know, I'm engaging him a little bit. And he says, are you Nicodemus? And that was, the, that was the character I played. Are you Nicodemus? I said, yeah. He said, you look old in person. I said, shut up, kid. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Just help kids help keep you grounded, right? <laughs> So it's a big deal that we understand this. Now, Psalm 127. This is what we're going to base it on this morning. Psalm 127. Uh, and this is one of the songs, psalms, I'm sorry, of ascent. In fact, in your Bible, probably it says that, depending on which version you have. Uh, it says, a song of ascent. How many of your Bible says that right at the beginning? And here's what that means. Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 were called the songs of or the Psalms of Ascent. They actually became songs and they sang them. And here's how they worked. Every year, the Jews, of course, this is Old Testament, and so David wrote this, actually, and the Jews would have to go to three major festivals or feasts every year from all around Israel. Now, Israel's not a very big country if you've never been there. It's about the size of New Jersey. Trudy and I have been there a couple of times. You can drive across Israel, all around Israel in a day. But... They were called pilgrims and then the priesthood. But everybody that loved God was supposed to come to Jerusalem three times a year with their family, with their relatives. It was like a big gathering place for the uh, feasts of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. There were seven feasts, but these were the big three. So when when they were coming up to Jerusalem and, and into Israel, or from wherever they were coming, they would sing these songs, or these psalms, 120 through 134, and they're called songs of ascent for two reasons. One reason is, whenever you're coming into Jerusalem, Jerusalem is on a hill. And so you're going up. And the temple, you went up steps. And here's the, here's the beautiful picture. Whenever we do it now by coming to church, we're going up in life when we're doing that. In other words, you're ascending. When you're coming toward God, you're gonna, it's taking you to new levels of life. Good levels. And so they were because they reminded them of God. There's different principles involved here about his goodness, about how they praised him, what he had done for them. But Psalm 127 and 128 were about family. 
and the importance of building your family. And this is a big deal. And they would begin to sing these. this psalm was one of them as they ascended into Jerusalem. So let's look at it. If you guys are putting it on the board, this is slide number three. Psalm 127. There's only five verses here, so I'm going to read them all. So let's jump right into this. You ready? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Verse 2, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Let me just stop right there. Pastor John talked about this this morning. God doesn't, you know, we got to have joy in our lives. You can't worry yourself through life. Maybe you did mess up. But you got to finally get that thing over on God and get it off you. And this is what God's saying. He does not want you to worry about the past. He wants you to build the house and trust in him. Wherever you are today, that's a good word from God. Hey, wherever you are, God wants to hook up and help you right now. And your worrying will take you nowhere. It'll only look up to God. Let's ascend. Hallelujah. Okay, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. We kind of switch gears here. Talking about kids. The fruit of the, of the womb is a reward. The message says right here, don't you see that children are God's best gift? Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Now, some people have misread that, thought if you have too many kids, it could make you quiver. Well, it could. But I'm sorry, that's a dumb joke, but i got to say it. Uh, no, quivers and a harrow holder, okay? Happy is the man. Happy. Everybody say happy. happy. Is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. I like this. I'll talk about it in a minute. But shall speak with the enemies in the gate. i got three things to tell you about this this morning. Number one, this psalm begins with a revelation about how to honor your unique roles in marriage. Let's look at it. Verse one, let's look at it again. Unless the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain. And when you read the word house in the Bible, remember this. You can always substitute the word family. Except the Lord build the house or build the family. It says that we labor in vain. Who build it? Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, this is talking about God ultimately being in the middle. But this is also uh, gives identification to the roles of the man and the woman. And what are they? First of all, it says, except the Lord build the house. The man God identifies as the builder of the house. Except the Lord watch the city, that keeps the city. The watchman, that's a picture of the wife. So the man is the builder, and the woman is the watcher. Now, the man, husband, the word husband in the Latin, is two Latin words actually. And here's what it means, the house bearer. Or you can say it this way. The husband is designed by God to bear the load of the family. With God, of course. But that's, that's the identity of a man. This is maybe not what we're hearing in our society right now. I think I told the guys this yesterday, but I read something the other day about how there's a group of people, and it's, and it's growing, that when they, they have children, and they don't call their children babies. They call them babies. And here's what they're doing. They don't dress their children in gender-identifying uh, clothes. They, they cut their hair. They don't want them to cut their hair like boys or girls. They want their children to decide one day who they are. It's crazy. <laughs> they don't have identity. Listen, we ought to go back to the Bible. 
And the Bible says men are supposed to be builders and leaders of the family. Thank you very much for that big amen. That doesn't mean we do it alone, though. We need a watcher to help us. Uh, men are called, I'll say it this way too, to lead, build the marriage. They're to be the source of the family. Now, of course, God is a source. But we need men that will stand up and lead in our day. Because when they don't, it produces all sorts of weird things in our society. And this is going on. In fact, did you know 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes? Uh, 71% of high school dropouts from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. These stats go on and on and on because men didn't step up and do the job. We need some men today. Hallelujah. I like John Wayne. Man, uh, John Wayne was a man's man. I love him. Hello, pilgrim. I just love John Wayne. We need, we need to go back to some of those things. Brother Ken, you sound old-fashioned. That's okay. I'm old. I'm okay with that. I'm going back to the Bible. I'm telling you this. We need men that will lead. But here's the deal. Men weren't called to do this, just be, I'm the man and I can do it. No, no, no. you got to have God help you. But then you also need somebody to assist you in life. And that's called your watcher. And the wife is called the watchman. And, and think about it this way. Adam, God didn't give Adam his wife until he, was, he embraced his assignment. You know, we talked about this a little bit this weekend. He was in the Garden of Eden, and he was serving God. He had a place to live. He was, he was uh, walking in God's commandments. He had disciplines in his life. God had told him, I want you to be blessed, but don't eat of that tree because that tree's mine. And, God had, and so Adam had some yeses, but he also had some noes. So before God gave him the gift of a woman, Adam was leading and had some things in place in his life. But then God looks at this one day and says, it's not good that this guy's alone. He needs a help me. That's what it says in the Bible. And go to Genesis 2.22. I want to just bring out one thing here. He needed a watcher, a help me to help him out. It says here that Genesis 2.22, then the rib which the Lord had taken from man made he into a woman and brought her unto the man. You know the story. God put Adam under anesthetic. He's asleep. And out of Adam, he pulled the woman. Adam came from the dust to the ground. It's like men come from dirt. It's like we kind of like to go back to dirt. You know what I mean? Not that women don't like to go outside, but men want to play golf, go outside. And, you know, I, I kind of don't like to do it. I lived in an apartment for about a year after we left Tulsa. We bought a new house after we were in this apartment 10 months. And I don't know. It's crazy, but I began missing mowing a yard and having some ground and going outside. And I think that's a man deal. We came from the dirt, and the dirt calls back out to us to come back. <laughs> See, women, they're not quite the same. They didn't come from the dirt. That's why they don't like you bringing your dirt into their house. <laughs> Different mindset. But from the rib, she came from this. Really, this word rib, a better rendering of that would be the side which the Lord had taken. Because here's the deal. Sometimes we read that and we think, a rib, that's a, just a little bone. That's kind of insignificant. I went to a barbecue place in Oklahoma City last week, and I got some ribs. But I didn't say, I'd like a rib. You wouldn't order that, right? All right, it's not enough. You need plural, ribs, because rib is insignificant. But here's really what that word means. That word really means the side was taken from the man. But then this rib has, has, has meaning. The definition of it in the ancient language. And I love this. Here's what it means. For advice. Now think about that. Y'all write that down. You're writing that down, aren't you? 
rib me. So God's saying, I'm going to take the side out of this guy, and she is going to be one of the most important things is for advice. That's why whenever you pull up to the stoplight, and you're driving, and your wife's with you, and you're looking up, and the light is red. How many know you stop on red? Right? You know that. You're a man. And, you, and then uh, caution means fly through that thing as fast as you can because it's going to turn red. <laughs> Green means go, right? So you're sitting there, you're watching the light, and you understand how it's red. I'm waiting for it to turn green. But here's your wife. She's over there, and this advice thing's working in her all the time. She can't help it. She cannot help it. And the right, and before the, the thing's kind of pink, it's coming from red. It's not to green yet, but before it gets there, she leans over and says, You can go now, it's green. I got you, but I understand. Greens go, red stop. It gets on your nerves, right? Here's the deal. She's not trying to get on your nerves. She's trying to advise you. <laughs> she wants to help you. Here's what we do as guys. We shut down our help. We shut down the greatest helper and advice. Doesn't mean she's always right. Doesn't mean she's perfect. And yet at the heart of a woman, when you're married... There's invested in her this ability to see things. There's a thing called women's intuition, and it's actually in the Bible. God said that. Write this down. Listen to your advisor. Because the more you learn to draw from her, the better she'll get at advising. Also, this word rib, and help me out, honey, I didn't have this in my notes, but it also is the root word of wisdom, right? Did I say that right? The root word of wisdom. There's a wisdom in, in women. And God's called us together with your gifting, with your calling, with her giftings, her calling, to take you to new levels of life. It's kind of like this. I've probably explained this here before, but I'll do it again. It's kind of like shotgun and stagecoach driver. You know how stagecoach works? We, we did these westerns, and I learned that to drive a stagecoach, we did these, these movies back in the 80s and 90s. We did a couple with Kenneth Copeland and... And, and it was cool because Gospel Bill show was like a studio show. It was produced all in this set area. But then when we <clears throat> did these movies, we went outside and uh, we'd ride horses. It was cool. It was like a bunch of little boys playing, I'll tell you. And uh, so one time a guy from Houston brought a stagecoach. It was four team, uh, four horses, stagecoach, real cool stagecoach. He was a cowboy. So I got up with him and I'd ride around the stagecoach off, you know, when other scenes were going on. And I learned, I watched that guy and I learned about driving a stagecoach. Man, you are busy because you have four horses. And back in the old west, they'd have some with six or eight. But you've got reins for each horse. And you put them between your fingers and you manipulate those horses and drive them and direct them according to the reins. And you got to learn how to, you got to, there's a feel for it. And here's my point. Stagecoach driver is, is going down the road, and it's like, it's like the husband. There's goals that he's going after. You know, in the Old West, stagecoaches went through dangerous territory. Stagecoaches were essential to the, the development of America from the east to the west, out here, Colorado, and uh, going to California. And stagecoaches would carry people. They'd carry the mail. They'd carry valuables. So they were open for attacks because there were bad guys. And so you needed the driver because he's got to focus on his job of getting the stagecoach somewhere. And all the passengers, that's like your kids. But then you need shotgun. Everybody knows how shotgun works, right? You know how to call shotgun. When I was a teenager, I learned about shotgun. You know, I had a 63 Ford uh, Galaxy 500, four doors. 
Big old car. Huge car. Google it and look at it later. This car, you could have lived in the back seat of my car. So we'd, we'd take off and, you know, four or five guys. I could get six or eight guys in that car. But somebody would yell, I'm driver, but somebody yell, shotgun! And that means they get to sit up front by the door because you don't want to sit in the middle, especially with a bunch of guys. You know, it's getting all over you. And you like to, So they call shotgun. Well, that came from stagecoach days because there was a shotgun. Here's how shotgun worked. They had a different perspective. Stagecoach driver's driving down the road, but shotgun can turn around and see things that are coming, kind of like a wife, and sense things. And then they had a shotgun to help fight because it's a fight to get the stagecoach where you're called to go. You understand life is a fight? Fight the good fight of faith. But you're called as a team to do it together. The builder and the watcher. Does that help anybody? Number two, children are like arrows. That's slide number seven. You got it? Good. Uh, Let's read Psalm 127, verse three. Behold, children are the heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. It's a blessing. Great blessing, nothing like it. Like arrows are in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Well, I want you to think about this. God likens our kids to arrows. Think about that, arrows. Why arrows? Arrows are weapons. Arrows do damage. Arrows do damage to the kingdom of the enemy. And God's design is... Look at this last verse again, or this, this fifth verse. It said, They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Here's the way God designed this to work. This is ancient terminology. Because in the Old Testament, they had walls around the city. Trudy talked about that Friday night. I thought that was good, if you were here. Uh, how God is the inventor of the wall. Uh, but they had walls around cities for protection, keep the bad guys out. But they had the gate of the city. And at the gate, people would stand up. It was like hanging out. They'd hang out there at the gate. They would gather. And, and, and men that had a more prominent voice that were more respected, when they stood and talked, people would listen because they had, they had reached a place in life that they were respected. This is what God's saying. If you train your kids, then there'll come a day that they'll stand at the gate and you will put something in them that they'll do battle, battle with the enemy. And they'll be respected and have a place in life. That's the will of God. But we have to, here's the thing about an arrow. They're a weapon, but we have to do three things. We have to aim them, have to prepare them, and then there comes a day that we fire them. We aim them, prepare them, and fire them. What does that mean? Well, first of all, who does this? Well, parents do this. We are called as parents to train our children in the things of God. That's not just the church's job. But we need the church because the church partners with us to train children. That's why church is so vital. And I saw also that's why church is so vital that churches make a big deal out of kids' ministry. Because you understand, there's a kid's classes this morning, right? Let me ask you. They're not just babysitting those kids, is that right? A lot of people look at kids' ministry, well, we're just caring for the kids. Like, well, we're just taking care of them. There's part of it. We do care for them. We want them safe. But they're training them in the things of God. They're teaching them the word. They're, they're, it does. Listen, you don't have to be 21 years old to learn to begin to learn about God. It needs to happen when they're little. They be, they start becoming arrows when they're little. But we got to prepare them and train them. And I want you to know, as a church, we're responsible for this. 
You know, I, I got this in my DNA because I worked with kids. And, and I, I began to see. I didn't see it right away. I think I saw it more and more as time passed. All these little kids are growing up, and they're becoming things. And, I, you know, now pretty much wherever I go, there's these little kids that watch Gospel Bill. And, and now they're serving God. And they're doing things like Rachel in church. And Isaac, they're serving God. And there were little kids at one time. And you just see little kids. You can't see their potential. But every one of them turn, grow up and turn into real people. It's amazing. But, but the things they get for God when they're little. And we as a church, we got to see this corporately. That means some of us need to work with the kids back in the classrooms. I'm doing some good preaching. Because you guys probably use some more helpers in children's man. Yeah, because you need a lot of people back there. Because not only do you have to preach to kids, but you got to keep them still and quiet. And it takes, takes people to do that if you do it right and to do it with class and do it well. And so we need the church to help, help, help do that. But if, even if you don't work with kids, and I challenge some of you, that may be a place for you to work in church. Because, see, coming to church is not just about you coming, sitting, and then leaving. You need to serve. You need to hook up and be a part. I walked around this morning. I see guys serving, people serving me, helping me out, people helping us set up our, our table. See, that's essential. We need helps ministry. But that's part of that is training the kids. But even if you don't work with them, here's what you need to do. At least be nice to the little kids you see. When they're running around the church, you know, go up to them. Don't just ignore them. Say, how you doing, buddy? What's your name? Yeah. Give them a piece of candy. If their mama doesn't want that, carry some vitamins around. I don't know. <laughs> but pull your wallet out. Just randomly. Just walk up to a kid. Hey, here's a $5 bill. God wants you to know he loves you. Would that be okay? I'm talking about, see, kids, the way they spell uh, love a lot of the time is M-O-N-E-Y. We're responsible for our kids. Amen. A lot of the single ladies coming to this church, and I'm sure they're single mothers, the only image they see of men that serve God are when they come to church. You are responsible just walking down the hall for those kids and what they see in you as a man. That's good preaching. One of the reasons my son's a pastor I saw this. I worked at a church called Church on the Move. We taught kids. It was one of the big deals in our DNA. And because of that, that church exploded. In Tulsa today, it left 1,000 people. I was there for 15 years. My son planted a church called New Song Church. He worked in kids' ministry. Kids' ministry is big in his church. He talks about it all the time. Talks about how important the kids are in their church. How your kids right now are being trained. And because he does that, it has drawn young, fam drawn young families. Because parents want a place where their kids are learning about God. Because these little kids are going home and preaching the lesson to their parents. There's, a, there's one guy that comes to my son's church, uh, and he's a really un, unusually quiet guy. He's one of these guys that just looks, that you would just not know what's going on with this guy, right? Uh, there's no outward thing you would see on him about what's happening on the inside. But I learned about this guy. And this guy is in the oil and gas business, and he does very, very well. And his wife is a, an attorney, and they've got some little kids. In fact, his wife was an attorney, and there's some things he needed to know better for his oil and gas business. So he goes to school and gets his, goes to the bar, and, and he's an attorney. It's because he wants to learn. And, uh, and, and so these people came from a denominational church, Pastor John, and they're looking for a church. They're wanting more, but they don't even know what that looks like. And they came to, to New Song. 
And uh, they tell the story. They said, we came and we didn't like it. We thought, this is too weird. This is too much. So they're leaving and their little kids come out and they just loved it. And all the way home, they're talking about the church. And they had said before they got the kids, well, we won't be coming back here. We'll still be looking. But the next week, their kids start putting pressure on them. Kids know how to exert pressure. I didn't go back to that church. They're crying. and Okay, fine, fine. So they bring them back. How long did they say they went? They went like three months. One day they're sitting in the service. You know, they've been there a while because of their kids. And the husband leans over and says, this is our church. <laughs> wow. Why? Kids. It's a big deal. We need to prepare them. You know, here's what. Let me tell you this about kids. They can know a lot more about God than you think they can. And they can hear from God. They can even learn his voice. Remember the prophet Samuel? He was a little kid that was dedicated to the house of the Lord back in that day. His mama was barren. She said, God, if you give me a baby, I'll dedicate him to, to your service. So when he was just a little boy, I think he was two, right? She brought him to the house of the Lord to work under the, the high priest Eli. So time's passing. He's growing up. In fact, historians say he was probably 8 to 10 years old. And one night he's going to bed, and he hears, uh, hears a voice. It says, Samuel, said his name, Samuel. So he gets up and he thinks, Eli's calling me. So he goes in, did you call me, uh, Pastor Eli? Eli says, no, no, I didn't call you. Just go back to bed. Happens again. He goes laying down, Samuel. He goes back to Eli. Eli says, I'm not calling you. Go to bed. Third time he does it. Eli says, wait a minute. I wonder if God's trying to talk to this little boy. They called it the word of the Lord back then. We would call it the voice of the Holy Spirit. So he tells him, he instructs him. See, children need to be instructed by adults because God's trying to talk to this little boy, but he can't get it until he gets adult direction. This is the way God designed it to work with parents and with the church. Eli says, next time you hear that voice, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Isn't it amazing how God wants to talk to you, but until you open up your heart and bring him in, he can't sometimes. So this time it comes, fourth time, and uh, Samuel, and he, this time he says, speak, Lord, I'm listening. And God gave that little boy a revelation about what's about to happen in the nation. And he became one of the great, powerful, strong prophets in the land of Israel. But it was because of his training. You know, we were in a, we used to do these big conventions. We were in a Kenneth Copeland convention years ago. And we would do our, our cowboy show and with Gospel Bill Nicodemus and our characters. We'd have our big dog character, Barkamas. And we'd set up a backdrop like an old west town with, with flats. And we all had lights and things. We tried to make it cool. And, and one night, Gospel Bill had preached. And we had, this is like Kenneth Copeland's convention where he had, we'd have seven or 800 kids, big crowds of kids. And, and I led these kids in worship. And, and we're all singing, worshiping God. But you know, there was just something special that happened that night. Like you could just sense that God was really there, you know? And so, uh, so I walked back, back behind the stage. But these kids, it's like there was a holy hush as I left. Gospel Bill walks out, and you could hear a pin drop. No, you didn't hear me. This is 800 kids in one room. And it's quiet, it's, it's hush, nothing. 
And he walked out, and I'll never forget it. He probably stood there. In fact, I was backstage, and I was worshiping God, but I'm thinking, what's he doing? Because nothing was said. And then he said, boys and girls, real calmly, can't you just sense Jesus is with us tonight? And it was a moment. It was cool. Well, then the next morning, I don't, I, I don't remember how we closed, but we did. And uh, next morning, I have the service my, by myself. So I'm walking across at the Fort Worth Convention Center, walking across the big book table area, and all these people are milling out there. And this lady begins to yell at me from way across the room, Nicodemus, because I have my cowboy outfit on, right? My hat, my chaps, and Nicodemus. And I'm kind of in a hurry, you know, and kind of focused on what I'm going to do. So I'm praise the Lord, yep. She's oh no she's just running to me she's got this little boy with her so I uh, said okay yes hallelujah she says wow and she was so excited she said that must have been awesome last night oh my goodness isn't God good that's so powerful and I, I finally said yeah what are you talking about said, I'm really not sure she said my son told me what happened she said he was sitting on you know about the middle of the room and Said, you led the kids in a worship song. I said, yeah. And then Gospel Bill came. You left Gospel Bill came. I said, yeah. And then Gospel Bill said, can't you sense Jesus is here with us tonight? I said, oh, yeah. It was cool. And she said, when, when he said that, my little boy saw Jesus walk around from behind the stage. And he walked behind Gospel Bill, and he smiled, and he folded his arms, shook his head. And then he just walked back. I said, really? <laughs> that little boy had a vision that will mark him the rest of his life. You know, I'm not saying every kid will have a vision of Jesus. That's kind of unusual. And yet, that little boy, when he was aimed, when he was prepared, he, he, he's getting equipped for whatever God's called him to do. And then there comes the day that we fire our kids they become a weapon to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. And we got to look down the road and see how important. You know, here's what I believe the church is going to be in the last days. It's going to be every age group doing their thing, doing their, fulfilling their part. All the way down to the kids, training of the kids, teenagers on fire, young people, marriages being reconnected. Older people leading because they're smart. You know, here's the thing about being older. Yeah, you're a, little, you're a little older in body. There's some things you can't do. You don't have the strength that you used to, but you're a lot smarter. We need young people because of the energy. We need old people because they have wisdom and money. It's a fact. God wants to do something awesome in our families in, in, in these days if we will build our house. A few years ago, probably five or six years ago, I was um, just out running errands. And, I, you know, my car is kind of my little prayer closet because I can get in there by myself, play my worship music. And I was just quietly praying in the spirit. And, you know, we know most people know what that is, but it's a special spiritual language that God has given us that we can just speak heart to heart with God, spirit to spirit with God. But it tunes you. It gets you fine-tuned. So I'm praying, and I, I, I drove down the road, and I was coming back to my home, and I turned the corner. This is when we lived in Tulsa. Turned the corner, and right on the corner was a little daycare center. And uh, just as I turned the corner to go to my house, I guess it was recess, 
and the door opened and all these little children just came running out there. It was so cute. You know, they're like two, three, four years old and they are so happy. You know how little kids are. It's like somebody let a little calf out of the gate and they're just, you know, they're free. We can get out of class and they're playing and they're running. And I was just looking at them. I was just thinking, isn't that the sweetest thing? All those little joyful children out there. And suddenly, the best way I know to describe this was the presence of God came in my car. But there was this, it was like weeping, grieving. And, and the Lord said, what's going to happen to them? I said, I don't know. He said, well, some of them will die young from drugs. Some will go through divorces, lose children. They're going to go through a lot of sorrow unless somebody reaches them for Jesus. And, and I, I don't think I've ever quite sensed anything like that, how it hurt the heart of God to think that these little children wouldn't get to know him and have a way out of and escape what's in this world. That's the only answer for our children. And as I was, as I was listening to him, he said, this isn't the first time I've wept over the children. He said, remember before the cross? He said, I wept over Jerusalem. I went and wept over it because they wouldn't pay attention. They didn't take it serious. He said, I was sent to them to help them, and they shut the door. And then he reminded me of this scripture. I'm going to read out of Matthew. Matthew 23, 37. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone them which were sent to you, how often I would have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathered their her chickens under um, her chicks under her wings, but you would not. And what he was saying was, I came to help, but you didn't take it serious, and you made the decision not to put Christ in your children. You made the decision not to invest. You made the decision. And he said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And that's pretty sobering. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm right here. Your Redeemer came. Your help is here. Everything you've got and you need to raise your families is right here. But it's your decision as to realize how important these babies are to me because they really aren't our children. They're his. And we have been given stewardship over these children in the earth. It's like I told the ladies yesterday. He let us give them a house. We gave him an earthly body that he, so that he can come in through our direction and fill them with his spirit and his life. But sometimes we just get so sidetracked and we get so caught up in what's going on right now in the world in front of us that we forget that there's a legacy to be built. And what I like to say is build a dynasty. Build a, a, a line and a succession of kings and priests with your family because that was God's will. But it's up to us. And it seemed like the whole service has been that. You make the choice. Let's, let's, let's do this thing. We're not, we're not hampered here. We're not without hope. We're not without help. But it's always our choice. And we need to make the choice today to invest in our children. Not, not just your own children, but invest in, in the children of this church, in your grandchildren. Take the time. You know, this is one of the most time-starved generations that's ever been on the earth. Everybody is so busy with everything but what is really important. And all the money and all the stuff that you've got is temporary, and you can put it aside. But you can't get time back. 
So make a decision today. Listen to what we're saying. God wants you to have a wonderful, beautiful life. But you have a responsibility to put the word of God in your children and see it as an investment that God wants you to make in them because they belong to him. You know, a lot of times, I'll just say this, we get focused on us and how we are not, we need help, we mess up. We get focused on that. Well, I need to get fixed. Let me tell you what, serving somebody else will help you get fixed. Serving somebody, finding your place, doing what you can do will help you get fixed. Loving somebody else will help you open up to more of God's love. That's the way this deal works. So, you know, I know maybe it's been a little different. It's challenged. Trudy and I are kind of like we're Nan and Papa. Hey, come on. Let's go. Let's do it. This church has a, has a, a, a call on it that is powerful in this area. And it's to reach out and bring in people. There's hurting people out there. There's a lot of people in Grand Junction that are hurting and they don't know what the answer is. And they've gone to church and that just seemed religious. They're looking for freedom and reality. And we're the one. I'm not saying we're the only church, but we're one of the big ones. And there's a call of God on this church. So here's my challenge to you. Find your place. Make this series in your house.